0: We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time time
1: for Taiwan Taiwan This Week.
0: Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio today by Brian Hugh from New Bloom. Thanks for having me. And on the telephone by Taipei-based freelance journalist, Ralph Jennings.
1: Thanks, Gavin. Always a pleasure to be here.
0: And tonight we discuss the latest in the ongoing probe into the new party's China ties, an expanded plastic bag ban, the government talking commitment to hiking wages across the private sector, the release of Taiwan's first comprehensive LGBTI report, and red flags with yellow stars. But we'll begin with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs opting to use stickers to cover up an image of Washington Dulles International Airport that was printed on the fourth and fifth pages of 550,000 copies of the island's new biometric e passports. Needless to say, the image was a mistake, and it was meant to have been one of the Taoyuan International Airport, as the passports pages all have images from Taiwan and not the United States. Go figure. Now, the Ministry was left rather red faced when news of the design and printing error came to light. The Bureau of Consular Affairs, Agonist Chen, has stepped down to take responsibility for the error, while Taiwan's top envoy to Canada, Gang Zhongchang, who headed the Bureau of Consular Affairs when the new passport was being designed, has also been recalled and demoted. Now, the sticker, which bears an image of, of course, the Taoyuan International Airport, is being seen as a rather cheap alternative to replacing all of the already printed passports. And foreign ministry officials say that the stickers cost around 30 NT each to produce and it'll cost around 16 million NT to make the correction to all of the already printed passports, and it will take about a month to apply all the stickers. That's a lot of stickers. That's a really, Someone's got a really bad job there, but never mind. Anyway, the 16 million NT in costs compares to an estimated 220 million NT in costs to reprint all the half million passports. Well, what an utter embarrassment, and that's the only way I can possibly politely describe this mess, Brian.
2: I think that's about right. It's a very strange situation. Uh, it's also kind of not surprising in terms of how Taiwanese bureaucracy behaves. Originally, it was reported that there were 200,000 that were misprinted, and then the amount later rose to over 500,000. Um, there's also a lot of attempts to pass responsibility back and forth between the relevant officials. But I think that with a lot of things in Taiwan, it's sort of, you know, people decide that it's about right or, you know, chop for example, on the way here in the tower in MRT, I saw a sticker on the wall that said, this is Paris, or I love Paris. And, you know, obviously we're in Taipei. So it's kind of hard to understand, yet it also somehow doesn't surprise me, unfortunately.
1: Ralph? I, can only help, I, I can't only I can help but thinking these are, these are passports. Obviously it's a, a major mistake, and it has to be changed for face purposes, but no matter what the image in your passport is, you can still travel out, you can go to other places. Um, Taiwanese can go visa free to well over 100 countries. I mean, well over that amount. And it would be sad to have somebody else's airport in there, but you could probably still (laughs) clear immigration.
0: Yeah, I'd be concerned about the sticker in the passport because, of course, stickers in passports are frowned upon at some immigration obviously in certain countries would probably look at the sticker and go, is there a problem with this passport because it has a sticker in it? So obviously it leaves Taiwan in a tricky situation because it now has to inform the entire world that there's actually a legal sticker in the passport.
2: I believe they actually claimed it was a biometric sticker, though I'm not sure what that means, and that may just also be an attempt to make it sound like there is a, a, a technological solution to this.
0: Mm. I mean, what about the people that have fallen on their swords, Ralph? I mean, we've obviously had the, the head of the Bureau of Consular Affairs has fallen on her sword, and the former head of the Bureau of Consular Affairs has, has basically been recalled and demoted. Do you think more heads could roll over this situation?
1: Well, that's um, Asian apologetic. Democracy at its best. Whenever there's somebody, some problem goes wrong, they find the people who they believe to be closest to it and fire them or demote them. I would imagine, although I don't have any real proof of this, that this error came from, came at many levels. It's probably somebody checking and uh, inspecting. There had to be somebody in, involved in printing. Um, you know, it can't possibly just be these two people, but. The demotion and the firing send the message that, hey, we really care. So let's have this, uh, would the public please forgive us and move on?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Surely their staff must travel to the airport regularly, <laughs> I would have thought. One of them must have seen the airport.
2: I hope I hope at least the staff know what the airport looks like. <laughs> I think, I, <laughs> you know, particularly for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Um, there is the issue, though, that I think it will not rise above a certain level in terms of who has to take blame, because then it looks worse even. So they want to confine blame to a certain level. So I think that we've seen enough heads rolling, but... It's still, either embarrassing for it's still embarrassing for the the uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs any way you look at it.
0: Yeah, because there's half a million passports need the sticker, and then after they've given out these passports. So I guess these passports will become collector's items, I think could so. argue. I
2: think so. In 10 years, in 20 years, when they have a new design, when these are no longer used, these will probably become quite valuable. So perhaps this will be somebody's fortune someday. Somebody um, will not, know, become rich off of this. We are not
0: saying that you should sell your passport, <laughs> of course. there. I mean, Ralph, U.S. passport, if the U.S. government had printed a picture of the Mexico City airport in it by mistake, do you see the same thing happening?
1: Something would have happened, but there's a... Pay, there's a, uh, a I believe there's a, an image from each state if you look far enough into your U.S. passport. And I imagine that most travelers wouldn't even notice what was going on until they got somewhere near the back and that page popped up with the Mexico City airport. And it um, might be too late by then. You'd have so many stamps that um, what are you going to do? you got to keep traveling. Mm. But do you,
0: th- do you think it could cause problems at immigration, Brian, with the sticker in a passport?
2: Uh, it depends. The passport already creates a lot of problems due to confusion regarding the Republic of China or the People's Republic of China. Uh, I think that yes, people will. Some, some. There probably will be some cases in which some country does see thinks somebody has tampered with a, a passport because of having this odd sticker in there, which looks very, very official, but also looks kind of strange because you don't usually see a sticker in a passport. Um, that might lead to some questions, but it's it's a question. It's a good question as to. You know, whether the Ministry of Foreign Affairs can actually spread word of this in a way to save face, but also make sure that, uh, that customs officials across the world are aware of this.
0: Right. And Ralph, do you think, obviously, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs was left red-faced, but do you think Joe Public is angry about this, or do you think they're looking at it, what a joke?
1: I would imagine that Joe Public does want more responsibility from government, and people do respond quite harshly here when... Um, government officials make really obvious mistakes as a perception they sort of live above the masses and when something like this happens, the public does want something you know, they, they want a real a reason, an apology and some kind of um, compensation which in this case might be the uh, the demotion and the firing so yeah, it's, it's really obvious it points to inefficiencies in, in government that people perhaps believe are already there but too often covered up
0: I mean, obviously, this obviously, the, the elections are coming out, Brian, at the end of the year. Do you think this a- accusations, allegations of incompetence could come up because of this mm. scenario?
2: Uh, yeah, that is a question. Um, David Lee, as the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Minister of Foreign Affairs, did serve in past KMT administration. So it's really hard to pass the buck, I feel like. I don't think it'll actually become a partisan issue per se. But it might be used to score easy points or even just, you know, be raised for a laugh. A laugh. I think a lot of people laughed about it,
0: but of course people in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs were not laughing about it. Anyway, moving on now to another matter that's really not a laughing matter. And the Taipei District Prosecutor's Office this week said that evidence that three new party members violated national security laws has been handed over to the Taiwan High Court. Of course, we talked about this investigation in the days after it was first announced. But for a brief recap on news about it since then, the three new party employees are alleged to have worked with Zhou Shu, a Chinese... Chinese national who was sentenced to 14 months in prison in September for espionage, and they worked with him allegedly as part of a plan to recruit Taiwanese military personnel as spies for Beijing. And one of them, New Party spokesman Wang Bingzhong, allegedly received some 200,000 US dollars in funding from China's Taiwan Affairs Office to promote unification. Now the suspects are all denying the charges, and Wang himself has filed lawsuits against both the Liberty Times newspaper and SET News Television, claiming that they lie. Him and ran stories insinuating that he was guilty. Now, of course, also this week, prosecutors said that several serving and retired military personnel are also now being investigated as part of this case. So, Brian, do you see this case getting bigger?
2: I think it'll get bigger, but I think the issue is when to draw the line, because the... The uh, criteria for this is very low. For example, the New Party uh, members that were arrest- detained, they were being paid for Facebook likes, 3,000 for a Facebook like. And so sometimes it has been raised you know, that these military, military, members of the military, they, they liked something that was posted on Facebook. So that, that makes it very difficult to figure out what is actually collaboration and what is just some activity on Facebook, regular activity, or somebody expressing their political views freely on the internet. Uh, it's a very strange story just because it, it does touch on a lot of the issues regarding the internet and political manipulation, as has been talked about with Russian interference in America through Facebook ads during elections and whether that counts as attempts to undermine the system. It's, it's a problem facing a lot of governments across the world.
0: Of course, one of the Wong had a website, of course. Yes, he, that's he right. said,
2: I didn't get money for the website. It was
0: me and my colleagues and friends writing editorials.
2: Uh, that's right, yes. It is not very well known as a website. It only has about 6,000 likes on Facebook, despite running for three years and having so much money from the Chinese government, apparently. Um, you know, My own little independent website would actually be much larger, which is kind of strange, with no resources. So that actually points to the fact how this is incredibly inefficient, what they've been doing. And it's not even very known among pan-blue media outlets, but it's been around and, and it's, that, le- that just raises a lot of questions. It's just incredibly bizarre as a story. Um, it raised a lot of questions of what China is intending to do with us, or how effective its means are at outreach in Taiwan. If they spend so much money on this website, which is not having much use, and trying to build a spy network through this, this this is you know this is quite bizarre. Mm. I mean,
0: Ralph, do you see this case continuing, or do you think they wanting the, the government and the judiciary will want to wrap it up quite quickly?
1: I think it almost has to continue if you open an investigation and turn evidence over to prosecutors and who may. <clears throat> carry it on to the court system. Uh, the people in the in the party will be will need a fair hearing at some point. Uh they might point to others and the investigation might uncover other people. I can only imagine that something like this involving um a Chinese national who was here as a student and then later on apparently trying to bribe officials, he must have had a network. He must have known a number of people who were helping him. Otherwise he wouldn't have gotten that far. And perhaps it's not just the party, it could be others who he contacted. Then again, he failed. I, my understanding is he, didn't, he was unable to bribe people In the end of the day, so maybe the case is not as big as we imagine.
2: It's hard to say, there are reports of them trying to meet a lot of young people, particularly in Taiwan, um, even Chinese students in, that are in Taiwan, possibly to report them. Uh, it, it, the interesting thing is that there's a kind of bounty system that they had for meetings. If they had a meeting with somebody, a one-on-one conversation, they could get more money that way. If they managed to get someone to reveal something revealing, they could get up to 50,000 NT, which is a month's salary for a lot of people. Um, so it could expand. It could expand. But also, it's, just, it's very hard to figure out what counts, because this just might be such an inefficient operation that they had a lot of contacts that just did not lead anywhere.
0: Well of course, the the new party themselves have said it's a it's a government ploy to persecute us because we don't support your policies, Ralph. I mean, do you think this is a viable argument or just is they're just a defence at the moment?
1: You mean the political argument behind the whole case? Yeah, I would like to think that no matter who's in power and who's um, you know who's in charge of Taiwan, that if, if somebody comes over from China and. Is convicted of spying that whoever's running the uh, the court system, the prosecutors, etc., they're going to go after everybody they can because it's been a persistent problem for for decades. And you have to know who the Chinese people are here and where their networks extend to.
0: Of course, last year we had the new treason law as well, which moved into up the ante when it comes to sentencing for espionage.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it is a question for the Tsai administration, in particular, what policy it takes to going forward regarding case of espionage in Taiwan, uh, Chinese students in Taiwan, Taiwanese nationals that collaborate with China, uh, political parties which are pan-blue, but collaborate with China or have ties to organized crime uh, these kind of these kind of things which lead the Tsai administration to sometimes get labeled as persecuting its political enemies so it does have to handle these delicately um, the new party has leveraged on this politically for example Ho Hanting, one of the, the uh, members that was detained he's now running for city council in Taipei um, so they are leveraging uh, this on the same time the Persecution charge is actually a way to boost their credibility when they're quite a small party, which doesn't have a lot of power in in Taiwanese politics.
1: Whatever they do, whoever's in government, if they if the prosecutors and the courts during that same period go after political opponents, other parties, or organized crime, the party in power, the government, the president is always going to be accused of political favoritism or the opposite of that. And that doesn't mean that they don't need to go after these people. If there's crime, there's crime. You've got to go figure it out.
2: It's one of the particular things about Taiwan, just in terms of electoral politics, that there's an entire half of the, the political spectrum in which their interest may not be with Taiwan. And so with regards to charges of treason, that this is a really delicate territory, particularly regarding the history of presidents being arrested after the end of their term or facing charges or um, you know, both sides having charges of corruption leveled against them at very high levels.
0: There's been a few of them. Yeah, of three, of the, three of them. Three of them, like right. a name, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'll move away from politics and talk about plastic bags. That being an expanded ban on free plastic bags, which went into effect this Monday, being January the 1st. And local environmental protection agencies have been busy this week making sure that all stores covered by the ban are now adhering to the new rules. Now, earlier this week, officials said that some 10,800 stores had been inspected island-wide, and of those over 10,000, only 16 apparently were were found to be still selling non-authorised plastic bags. Now, beverage and cosmetic stores, cosmetics, that's very strange. Anyway, they were found to be the biggest offenders. Now, the new plastic bag ban expands the policy from seven to 14 types of businesses. But it's been somewhat confusing, as some bakeries were charging for small plastic bags for bread and cakes. That, despite the Department of Waste Management saying that the first layer of packaging covering either raw or fresh foods, such as vegetables and bread, was not in included in the ban. Now, I've experienced the ban as everybody has firsthand, and I think it's a good idea. You now go to the 7-Eleven, and you get a bag that you can use to put your garbage in and give it to the garbage truck. You go to one particular supermarket I went to, and they gave me a larger bag that I can use to put my garbage in. Now I went to my local lunchbox store this week and was given a jolly old-fashioned plastic bag for free. So, Ralph, plastic bag ban, what's your experience? Have you had any of these new plastic bags? Have you been denied a plastic bag this week?
1: I usually don't ask for plastic bags this week or any other time. I try to bring my own. However, there are some cases of of food that's some um, you know packaged in a very fine way, such as um, you know sliced sliced bread for toast, and I do need a bag. And I that's the only case where I I ask for one. I'm, I'm never denied. I never have been, and I don't. And I wasn't yesterday when I went to a bakery to buy a number of things. And I suspect that this ban will not be very well enforced. I saw in the story that um, the bakeries and the the cosmetic stores, etc., they risk a fine. That doesn't mean they will be fined. I don't expect to see a lot of police standing around. I expect that this is going to be like the garbage disposal scheme where there are so many rules and and so many complications that people just take their entire bag of garbage and, and, and throw it out and say, I'm done with it.
0: Well, of course, some stores have claimed that they were unaware of this, Brian. I mean, you had to be living under a rock in Australia not to have known about this ban, surely.
2: Mm, I think so. However, sometimes deliberate ignorance is the way to go. Um, I think that nobody that's caught will, will claim that they were aware of it and were willingly breaking the ban. Um, my own experience so far has been, mostly with the 7-Elevens, there has, I, it does actually change my behavior, that I'm less likely to ask for a bag if, for example, I'm ordering coffee and I'm also carrying a number of things, or if you know, that way I can have the, the coffee in a plastic bag. And that, is, that, is, that kind of makes sense. Um, as for bakeries, I'm not totally sure. I haven't, haven't I made a bakery think, yet? I, no, I have, but I don't think they actually, I can't remember totally, but I don't think they actually bother with the, the ban.
0: Right, of course, in the north, of course, for our listeners, it's slightly different to the south, because in the north in Taipan New Taipei, you actually have to bag buy rather, government plastic bags to put your garbage in before you take it to the garbage truck. But, of course, in the south, you don't have to do this, and you can basically mm. use any plastic bag. Just think, Brian, do you think there'll be a bit of a difference
2: on the acceptance of the plastic bag ban between the north and the south? I wonder about that. Uh, these measures were introduced within living memory. So if it can happen in the north, which is is pretty densely popular, I think it can happen in the south too, because the change already went through with the pretty sizable part of the population. And so I think it can expand to other places. Um, I'm actually a little surprised that this it hasn't in terms of the, uh, the, the plastic bag that they have in Taipei City and so forth.
1: I also wonder about the paid plastic bag scheme. Some of the Supermarkets and and perhaps some of the convenience stores will sell you a plastic bag. So, are they? Do they fall under the ban or not? I'm not aware of the north-south differences, but up here in the north, I find plenty of people who don't use the the regulation blue garbage bags to throw out their trash, especially if they live in compounds where the management does it for them. Mm Hmm.
2: And that does kind of defeat the purpose if there's a, a large blue plastic bag in which there's a lot of plastic bags that are you know, not the, the, the type they want. <laughs> it really does depend, though, in which where people throw out their garbage and their consumption habits. And I think sometimes it's hard to change really deep-rooted habits, but at the same time, these kind of unconscious nudges seem effective. Um, I must know, I did go to one other supermarket, which will remain nameless, and they had a sign
0: saying they're not going to provide any plastic bags, which I thought was a bit off because... Obviously, maybe they don't want to sell government-issued plastic bags because they're not going to make a profit, although the sign says they're doing it to save the environment. I mean, you think this could deter sort of shoppers that are leaving the office and need to buy things from going to certain supermarkets if they're going to completely outlaw the use of plastic bags? I actually wonder about
2: that, because of the fact that in Taiwan there are already so many stores out there, um, particularly particularly in Taipei, and you see a supermarket and another supermarket not too far away or a convenience store, another convenience store. Maybe people start self-selecting based on how these different stores are accepting the plastic bag ban or rejecting it.
0: No, I mean, Ralph, if, if you left the office and were going home and needed some vegetables, some fruit and some general groceries would, and you didn't have a plastic bag, what would you do? You, you, would you pick a supermarket that sold you a plastic bag that was out the way or do you think you go to the nearest one even though it was rather inconvenient because you'd be carrying it all home?
1: I would go to the nearest one out of convenience. And I know it's it's my bad that I don't prepare my own bags as I don't see this this sudden grocery run coming up at the point I would leave an office. But since I wouldn't have the bag and since I would be in a hurry, I would go to whatever store was on the way home. And I would imagine even if they would not provide me a bag for free, they would probably sell me one. If they wouldn't sell me one at all, I'd be putting a lot of mushy tomatoes in my backpack and my wife wouldn't be (laughs) that.
0: (laughs) Anyway, we have to take a short break now, but we'll be right back after these important messages. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, and we're going to begin the second half of the show with what the government hopes will be good news for private sector employees, that being an increase in wages. Now, President Tsai Ing-wen kicked off this campaign by grabbing breakfast at a Moss Burger in Taipei to show her support for the fast food chain's decision to give its employees a pay rise. Now, the island's minimum monthly wage was raised to 22,000 NT on January the 1st, while the hourly minimum wage was increased to 140 NT. And i Believe that public sector employees all got a 3% pay rise beginning on New Year's Day, leaving private sector workers rather angry that they're still suffering from what have been described as stagnating wages. Now, according to the President, the government is fully committed to helping combat low wages this year and plans to reward companies willing to raise the salaries of their employees. Now, these rewards include subsidies or other forms of incentives, but little else has been said about this. So, Brian, do you think the government? government actually is capable of getting the private sector to hike wages.
2: I think it probably is not. Um, the same large conglomerates that that resisted the changes to labor laws last year and were instrumental in pushing for further changes this year also said that they were not too big fans of the wage hike, saying that this does not return to. Raising wages in Taiwan, but returns to Taiwan's broader economic situation, which unfortunately I do actually have to agree with in some sense. Um, it does raising the wages is the way the government wants to get to uh, address some of the the complaints against it in regards to changing work hours and work policy in general. But will that actually better the situation for Taiwanese young people or just anyone else or any other marginalized group facing low wages in Taiwan? Um, it does actually return to much larger. Things then asking the gov- uh, asking different companies to raise wages and th- hoping that well, they will just follow through and then thinking that this will change the situation overall.
1: Um, the, I would worry about any scheme that relies on incentives and non-regulatory, non-mandatory rules on the private sector. It reminds me a bit of the EPA's suggestion. I want to say seven, eight, ten years ago that
2: polluters
1: install anti—you know—factory scrubbers and other pollution control measures, and they weren't at that point required to do so. And I don't believe that a lot of them actually did. And the other thing, I think some of these smaller private companies will probably do it, um, perhaps for publicity reasons or because they um, they value their staff; they don't want a lot of turnover. But. Most of them probably will resist, as they already have, because that's what the Taiwan economy really stands on. The companies from Taiwan historically have made a name, have become successful by cutting costs, by saving money, and one of the biggest expenses they have is employment, labor.
0: Right. Stagnating wages, Brian. I mean, Obviously, this is a word that's been touted a lot
2: over the last three or four years. Mm. And that does return to the fact, uh, again, these these broader economic issues facing Taiwan, which do lead to, for example, a lot of people leaving Taiwan um, just because of the low wages and because it pays better elsewhere. Um, Yeah, I do think that some companies will will actually go with it in order to. For advertising, just to build kind of a progressive reputation. Um, but beyond that, there, you also do have comments. For example, by the head of PX Smart, that young people today, for example, they should learn to live on 22k salaries because we had it so much better. We, we we could survive on it back then, despite the fact that you know 22k now means a lot different from back then. And if that's from one of the largest, you know, the the head of one of the largest supermarket chains in in Taiwan. I also don't know if people on the top in other companies are actually aware of that this is an issue or actually just care. He did get into trouble for that comment, though, didn't he? He did, which did lead to some boycotts (laughs) um, because that that, uh, it's not a great thing to say. It's not a politically correct thing to say by any means. However, at the same time, there were people that agreed with him. And there was some commentary that uh, took his words as the words of a great man that knows what things about the economy, um, the words of a wise man. And that's, that's just disappointing, but... One also expects that the time nation doesn't want to push groups too hard, um, industrial groups and companies and so forth, when it already caused controversy over this labor policy. Um, so I think this will be a suggestion and a fairly weak one.
0: Right, Ralph, you're in charge. They give you the presidency for a day, and your job is to raise wages. I mean, what do you think they should do here?
1: I would continue with the, the periodic raises of the minimum wage. I don't think that given... Given how much businesses rely on low wages for their survival and their prosperity, I don't think you can hit them too hard, too fast, but you do need to hit them over time. That's been also one of uh, President Tsai's campaign promises, to make life better for the the working people, for young people, and this is one of the key ways that she's trying to do it. Uh, Businesses are used to periodic minimum wage hikes, and they know how to price those in. This is something that other countries do. It's not terribly unusual. So I think that the president here should continue to do that.
2: Brian, you're president for the day. What would you do to raise wages? (laughs) Well, I think I would just raise the wages. For example, there's the the Fight for 15 campaign in the U.S., which does push for raising wages in the hope that this can actually – a sudden raise of wages um, in in the hopes that this can change the economic situation to kind of a shock Uh, I mean, Taiwanese workers already work the fourth longest hours in the world. And I think a recent statistic was that Taiwanese workers work the most on vacation. And at the same time, they're low wages. So I think that raising wages would be one way to sort of rectify this imbalance. However. Uh, raising wages—not just—that's only—that's only part of it. Too. Of course, it's the
0: private sector we're talking about, which is rather, you know, who, not, a, who, not you can't a, really uh, <laughs> dictate what the private sector does, really, can you? Otherwise, it's not a private sector. Exactly. Anyway, we'll jump on from the private sector to another sector, and that being a local gay rights group this Wednesday, releasing what it's calling Taiwan's first comprehensive report, which reviews lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and intersex rights policies. Now, the Taiwan Tongjia Hotline Association says the Taiwan LGBTI rights policy review took one year to complete, and its Secretary General, Olivia Tsai, has been quoted as saying that there's been little research carried out into LGBTI, experiences and how policies impact them in such fields as work, family, education, health law enforcement, media and even sports. Now the report urges the government to assist long term care facilities in providing services that take into consideration gender diversity and for law enforcement personnel, teachers and social workers to receive gender identity diversity training. The report also says that it supports removing gender indifferences on ID numbers and adding a third gender option in addition to male and female on national identity cards. There have also been calls this week to add a third gender to passports. Now, another issue here in the report said that the group is asking for the Artificial Reproduction Act to be extended to single women, lesbian couples and transgender couples who are currently excluded and for the government to initiate more discussion about the surrogacy system. All of which could be argued makes sense, but of course these moves will no doubt have their rather vocal called detractors.
2: Mm, that would not be surprising. Um, it was a very comprehensive report uh, produced in two versions, one which was intended for mass consumption in the form of graphics and simple text, and the longer report, which has all the details. Uh, the demands pushed for that are fairly maximalist in terms of the fact that it is the complete thing that the LGBTQ movement wants at the moment, um, in terms of, for example, having gender-neutral restrooms or uh, sexual education in schools, Um, etc. And unfortunately, just because of the fact that there are such conservative forces in society which precisely fight about these issues and have taken a a strong stance, particularly in the past year, on these issues, uh, it does seem unlikely that society will will just go with what this report advocates.
0: Right, Ralph, do you see them adding a new gender to ID cards or passports?
1: I wouldn't expect the government to go that far, but I do expect the current administration to take a lot of the suggestions pretty seriously because this is a government and a ruling party that has been historically supportive of diversity, including um, rights of of, uh, LGBT community members. So they'll probably do the easy things like training training law enforcement, maybe adding a a few items to the school curriculum. Um, I think there was something in their report suggesting that the government look into the health including the mental health of uh, people in the lgbt community and i think that's something they could fairly easily do without stirring up a bunch of controversy so i would expect them to go about that far as a way of saying hey we we heard you and we're trying to do something about it because
0: the government's still sort of oohing and aring about actually legalizing gay marriage and this report comes of course as that's still sitting there
2: Uh, That's one of the paradoxes, and the Taiwan Tongju hotline, as the oldest LGBT organization in Taiwan, has been at the forefront of the fight for marriage equality. Um, It's ironic because of the fact that the government... uh the the government at many levels whenever there's some kind of event on which Taiwan's international stage it raises a rainbow flag um, for example the fireworks for uh, a Taipei 101 the theme was Happy Together which is probably a reference to uh, an LGBTQ-themed Wong Kar Wai movie and there's rainbow iconography or at the uh, Universiade or uh Going way back, there are many precedents for this. At the same time though, because there is controversy even within the DPP, the DPP seems to want to raise this issue to give Taiwan a reputation of being progressive without actually taking some of the steps that would cement Taiwan being a progressive country um, in, terms of, in terms of law and the effect on the LGBTQ community.
0: What about if they do introduce gender diversity training for law enforcement
2: personnel, teachers, etc.? Do you think this will be taken seriously? Um, It depends on in what manner. I think particularly in what form they phrase it. Um, The Protect the Family Alliance, which forefronted a lot of opposition to marriage equality, later they they came out of organizations that were specifically opposed to sexual education in schools. And then afterwards, they kind of reorganized uh, back to that cause. Uh, So schools are one place in which they're afraid of, oh, they're corrupting the children. But law enforcement, they also frequently raise the specter of law enforcement... uh, for for example, er- forcing people not to say the word uh, husband and wife, and then you can only say spouse or some gender neutral term, uh, and that this will become some form of thought police. So it could cause controversy. Um, certainly, anti gay groups will leverage on that.
1: I agree with Brian. The school, uh, the uh, teaching in schools is more controversial, and I think that came up during the discussion of the same sex marriage law, which is now on hold. Um, I'm not really sure what it means for law enforcement. It could be, if it's just a matter of terminology, it probably wouldn't be that hard. If it's a matter of, of teaching the police and uh, other departments to do things significantly differently, it would perhaps depend on what they're being asked to do and how easy it is for them to to um, mainstream those new techniques into their existing jobs.
2: Mm, uh, particularly an issue, too, is the crackdown on, on gay bars that's continued under Cohen Joe um, as, as targeted with the view that they are sites for mass drug use and that kind of thing. Um, that's continued. And will that actually stop? It's hard to say. Um, despite Co, for example, raising marriage equality in various events that he participates in. Have they been doing that? Yeah, they have. Yeah, it's continued, unfortunately. What, targeting specifically gay bars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's continued. Um, it's worth the view that you know, again you know there's a lot of drug use in these places and fear of AIDS. There's a long precedent for this in Taipei, and that is one of the uh, that's actually that, that 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 goes back to many administrations under both blue and green and so forth. Um, you know there was actually some some uh, appreciation of Ma for kind of relenting on this when this was actually harsh under Chen Shui-bian during when Chen bian was mayor and and so it's a complicated issue um co is an independent and he previously was it, it's interesting because he was forced to support gay marriage more or less. He was more or less originally on defense the and then the US suddenly legalized it and then he had to change his stance. Uh but these things have just continued to happen and they're unfortunately just not reported on. Um it's not widely discussed, surprisingly. And of course the Constitutional
0: Court did make a ruling on
2: gay marriage saying that
0: lawmakers have now, I believe, sixteen months to ratify a law, which means that gay couples <laughs> can register at local marriage registry offices and have their partnership put in the books. I mean, Ralph, obviously the Gay Marriage Act per se is stalled in the legislature, but obviously lawmakers have been ordered by the Constitutional Court to actually act on it.
1: Yeah, I don't know where that stands. I Last time I spoke with an aide to the legislator who was in charge of the original bill, uh, back going back to 2016 now, she said that the matter should come up again before the end of what's now last year, and it didn't. So, they do need to do something, as you say, within 16 more months. And I think they will, The and if the DVP needs to, they can simply make that little change to the existing civil code. And that's that's the easy way, or it's, at least it's administratively easy, but I think they're probably going to try to accommodate some of the pressure from religious groups and opposition parties who want things done differently. Um and I I, I I think if push comes to shove, also they will not include other things like teaching LGBT rights in the schools. They'll just simply do what the the uh, the uh, grand justices ordered them to do. Mm.
2: It's astonishing that there's been such dragging on of this issue. Uh, originally, it was thought that the Council of Grand Justices deciding this would make it easier for legislature to just push this through. They could say that we don't have a choice. It was the Council of Grand Justices. But that hasn't been the case. Uh, it does indicate that the legislature is very fragmented on the issue. Um, there have been the cases of gay couples that are denied, um, that have sued to get married. But they the, the third couple recently, um, Jennifer Liu and her partner, um, who, Jennifer, who was at the forefront of the marriage equality movement as well, their application was recently rejected. And so it's it, it stalled for now. Um, it might take another push to get legislator to talk, legislature to talk about the issue. It's sort of even faded in mainstream discussion because people thought it was a done deal after the decision up till now.
0: Right, and we'll move on to our final story of this evening, and this is a done deal because the Ministry of Justice this week rejected a proposal to ban public displays of China's national flag, saying that such a move would be unconstitutional and runs counter to the freedom of speech. Now, this proposal was raised at the National Development Council's public policy platform, which is on its website. Now, the proposal to ban Chinese flags received more than 5,000 public endorsements in less than a month, and that meant the government was obligated to issue a Response, And its response is basically, no, we're not banning them, which is just as well, because in Jingmen, which of course is close to China, one street there has been decked out in ROC and PRC flags, with stores on one side of the street with ROC flags, and stores on the other with PRC flags. Now, the concept <sighs> of this was a local artist called Wang Mingzong and he said it was to promote local tourism and he also said that he opted to use the flags as an installation art piece to attract tourists and to explore business opportunities in an innovative way as he said he believes Jingmen should develop its own distinctive approach to attract tourists now of course Ralph if you want to see Chinese flags you can go to Ximending on any given day of the week and the pro-China groups are there
1: Yeah, I would be surprised if anybody could ban it. As you said, just now, it's a freedom of expression issue. And even though perhaps the majority of people in Taiwan would prefer not to see that kind of a flag, the law can't stop you from flying one.
2: Mm, That's right. It comes up at the same time as the new party issue. So it did raise a lot of uh, questions of freedom of speech. Uh, it's actually been an issue in the past that the even the ROC flag hasn't been able to be displayed in Taiwan, though, um, under the modern administration with Chinese officials coming to Taiwan. Um, that was one of the major things that provoked the Walt Strawberry movement in 2018, that ROC flags were being taken down for a Chinese official in Taiwan slash the ROC. Uh, well, but what's made me laugh when you see these people in the
0: with the Chinese flags in Shimanding, these pro unification groups, mm-hmm. the the general public just seems to be oblivious
2: to them, of course. <laughs> There's no Well, th- consumption, you know, tourism and uh Simending and or Taipei One O one. It's always these places with a lot of tourists. But
0: I would've thought Ralph, maybe I would have thought maybe these flags would attract sort of people that would get angry but they don't.
1: I think the, the the flags I've seen in Taipei are often uh plastered onto the to a truck or some kind of a vehicle and they go swinging through the streets and people see them and they look at them and say, what was that? And they don't understand it. Some people here probably see it and feel that the bears of the flag are sort of <laughs> freaky. They're out there. They don't really need to be taken seriously. The case in Demon's is more interesting because Jimen relies heavily on tourism from right across the, that little inlet um, coming over from Fujian and especially Xiamen. They're all mainland Chinese and perhaps they want to see some some sign that they're welcome in in, in Jinmen.
0: Of course, we had this issue in, in remember Sun Moon Lake when Chinese tourists first came here. A lot of the boats that obviously take tourists around Sun Moon Lake actually had the China flag on the boats, and that of course caused some controversy.
2: Mm. Yeah, that's right. Because it is it is a question as to Taiwan's sovereignty. Um, I think that with the people that display R C uh, our PRC flags in particularly urban areas in, in uh, Taiwan, they sometimes are actually the violent pro-China types, the ones that actually attack the Falun Gong demonstrators that are next to them or the Taiwanese independence advocates. And it's interesting, it's funny to me that in Taiwan, you do have the uh, PRC flag next to a Taiwanese independence flag, and these groups all like show up at tourist sites, such as Ding or Taipei 101, whereas in Jingmen, where you have a tourist site, you have the PRC flag and the ROC flag. It does say something about how Jingmen sees itself in terms of identity that is caught right between Taiwan and China. I mean, China, uh, Xiamen in particular, is is directly visible from Jingmen. And so that's particularly how Jingmen views itself. I mean, Jingmen does actually have a lot of people that do identify as as Chinese.
1: Yeah, Jingmen is a good place for this kind of case. And as I believe I saw an image with the Flags from China were on one side of the street, and the flags from Taiwan were on the other side of the street, directly facing each other. It's uh, in kind of a friendly, almost uh, upbeat, peaceful sort of ways, which is something you never see. <laughs> um, I also think it would be interesting if um, you know those who are proposing to fly the Chinese flag, and if, they're, if they feel offended by the by the backlash, they might want to point out that there are lots of other flags that are being flown here. We have flags from the countries that we're from, and flags from various parts of Asia, a lot of Japanese symbolism. So, um, you know, if if you're going to ban one flag, perhaps we need to ban them all.
0: Or we stay flag-friendly. There we go. We'll stay flag-friendly. And we can all (laughs) agree and get on. Anyway, that was the show for this week here on Taiwan This Week, the flag-friendly Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Brian Hugh, Good night. And on the telephone by Ralph Jennings. Thanks, Gavin. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcasts on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.